For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. Kicking off the new year and this latest readout video from our Wednesday Wake Up Email newsletter with a reminder that cold is worse than heat. No need to thank me. It was actually Mother Nature who furnished it in the form of devastating storms over the Christmas holiday that demolished travel plans and killed dozens of people, even in wealthy and technologically advanced societies. Among other things, these storms reminded us that a major issue with severe cold weather, as opposed to the hot kind, is that when a heat wave ends, it basically ends. But snow, ice, sleet, and freezing rain keep causing trouble because of the lasting damage they do. For instance, one news story said, quote, Families in western New York were scrambling to find food, medicine, and other essentials Monday after a historic blizzard blocked roads and cut off electricity, forcing many major supermarkets and pharmacies to close, end quote. Do heat waves make travel so hazardous that governments have to ban the attempt as they did in that region? And how often does heat make it necessary to locate heavy machinery, such as a snowblower, in order to dig people out of their cars? Even California got clobbered by winter in mid-December, so it was no regional phenomenon. In fact, on the other side of the world, later in the month, quote, heavy snow in Japan leaves 17 dead, dozens injured, end quote. One of our viewers had commented sardonically back in November that, quote, In October, the CBC weather told me that Canadians are bracing for record high seasonal temperatures. Yes, as a Canadian, I worry when the temperature outside is the same as the temperature inside. Nope, I'm bracing for minus 17 in November, which in my 60 years is a record I am bracing for, end quote. And then an email came in telling me that Canada has an annual fundraising event for the homeless called, wait for it, the coldest night of the year. Want to guess why? Now, when you're comparing heat to cold, it is important to take into account that vulnerable people who live alone are also at risk during heat waves as during snowstorms. But they can get out of their buildings or, if they're not mobile, help can reach them. It can't during blizzards. And another thing, instead of drawing the obvious lessons from December's freeze and worse, the usual suspects went right along with their unexamined assumptions about climate. Even the National Post, in a major and in many ways reasonable look at how the Canadian government's determination to hike immigration even higher is overwhelming our infrastructure, when already, quote, we're all stuck on gridlocked roads or jammed into buses and subways and our hospitals are overcrowded, end quote, reflexively chirped that, quote, climate change will only further weaken infrastructure that is crumbling in many parts of the country, end quote. How? Up to now, winter has been the culprit for the heaving and the freezing that demolishes roads and bridges and for the heavy reliance on road salt that's been a constant source of corrosion. How is winters getting milder going to ruin everything? And now, a word from our sponsor. And that's you. Because at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we're dependent upon support from our viewers and our readers. Please go to our donate page, make a one-time pledge, or if you can, a monthly one. I'm not talking a lot of money, though. If you've got it, we'll take it. $2 a month, $3, $5. That's the sustaining funding that we need to produce these videos on our newsletter. And now, back to me. In the newsletter, we also note that just months after Germany's Chancellor was sent packing by Canada's Prime Minister when he came here seeking natural gas, getting instead a promise of solar hydrogen and a jibe about there being no market for liquid natural gas in Europe, the first shipment of the stuff from North American shores has actually arrived from the United States. 
And even there, a certain kind of green zealot insists that, well, yeah, methane may be better than coal, but rather than making a prudent transition to alternative fuels, we should leap into the freezing dark, including ditching the extremely low greenhouse gas, reliable base power that we get from nuclear energy. And thus it is that Japan is now also begging Canada for natural gas, having foolishly shut down their nuclear industry over wildly overwrought safety fears, as a result of which they became desperately dependent on Russian energy. But they are seriously in doubt that we'll actually manage to build our first LNG export terminal. It's scheduled to come online in Kitimat, British Columbia in 2025, but we have a very bad record on major projects generally, and a terrible one when they involve energy. In a way, this newfound incapacity is very strange. As the Wall Street Journal headline rightly put it, quote, German facility built at breakneck speed accepts gas shipment from U.S., end quote. But while Western societies are far more advanced in technology and just sheer productive capacity than they were, say, 75 years ago, we are increasingly mentally and morally paralyzed. Now, as you know, green zealots want us to build their fanciful new economy at the same pace and in the same spirit as we once brought a comfortable life within reach of the middle classes while winning two world wars. But back then, the energy, can-do spirit, and innovation were driven by a relentlessly practical orientation, including that apparently promising early steam cars were ditched for internal combustion, as were the electric kind, because gas cars worked better. Nowadays, a very different approach is de rigueur, in which politicians, bureaucrats, and activists who will pay no price for being wrong decide in advance that something's going to work, and the more of other people's money they pour into it without benefit to citizens, the more determined they become to pour yet more in. And, speaking of the modern approach, or the postmodern one, the trendy approach to science nowadays is to declare that objectivity, data, and all the other impressive tools of inquiry that we have relied on are actually instruments of oppression probably linked to racist patriarchy. And in that spirit, two protesters at the fall meeting of the American Geophysical Union, both declaring themselves to be climate scientists, tried to disrupt the opening ceremonies and silence the invited protesters, and then, when forced to leave, accused the AGU of silencing scientists for not letting them silent scientists. One of the protesters yelled, quote, Our science is showing that the planet is dying. It's terrifying. Everything is at risk. As scientists, we have tremendous leverage, but we need to use it. We can wake everybody up, end quote. But if anyone would know the planet is dying, if it were dying, surely it's the 60,000 people at that conference. This protester, and he is a climate scientist, as NASA's government paid Peter Kalmus, explained that, quote, if the people who know the most about Earth breakdown are still acting like everything's fine, then of course everyone else is going to keep acting like everything's fine, end quote. Now, we are unfamiliar with the planet on which everyone is acting like everything's fine. Most politicians are running in circles with their hair on fire over it. But if, quote, the people who know the most about Earth's breakdown, end quote, agree with him, there's no need for him to disrupt their conference to yell it at them. And if they don't agree with him, there is no excuse for him doing so and trying to force them to yell it too. In the newsletter, we also note that a recent poll finds that what most worries Canadians about climate change is the possible loss of food security. So evidently Greta Thunberg, Peter Kalmus, Paul Ehrlich and that crowd are doing a pretty good job of scaring people away from sober scientific inquiry on climate, since any rational examination of agriculture in the famously northern and chilly Canada shows first that we have somehow been increasing food production at an impressive rate all through the decades of our never-ending climate breakdown, 
And second that, despite our progress, except in our southernmost regions, we suffer from troublingly short-growing seasons and harsh winters, not endless heat. And yet somehow, the urbanites who eat the stuff instead of growing it now look at a wheat field or an orchard in autumn and pray for snow to ruin the harvest before complaining of rising food prices. Amid all this panic, as we've mentioned before, a major unsettled question among climate alarmists is whether solving global warming will be an easy, pleasant glide into a cleaner, greener future or a nasty forced march into damp caves where we'll subsist on bugs. For a long time, carbon offsets, particularly planting trees to counteract living more or less as we always had, seemed to offer a truly painless, indeed almost lifestyle changeless transition to this supposed net zero sustainable world. Until some spoil sports came along and said, sapling or no sapling, you're eating bugs. For instance, the Atlantic's Weekly Planet titled its retrospective of its best pieces from 2022, quote, trees are overrated, end quote. And the Greens, EFA, and the European Parliament just cited a Fridays for Future activist that, quote, instead of providing real solutions to the climate and biodiversity crisis, net zero pledges and carbon removals divert attention from real action and have negative effects on ecosystems, food, security, and people's rights, end quote. So, bugs in a cave it is. And collective farm bugs, too, quote, Carbon removal and nature-based solutions are greenwashing at its best. For climate justice, we need to rethink the entire capitalist system that is based on the use of fossil fuels and the destruction of nature, end quote. Oh, abolish capitalism. That's original. But, to be fair, MIT's climate portal warned last year that, quote, studies have estimated an average American's carbon footprint at around 16 tons of CO2 annually, one of the highest figures for any country because of the energy-intensive American lifestyle. A single mature tree, meanwhile, may take in about 50 pounds of carbon dioxide per year. At this rate, it would take 640 trees per person to account for all American emissions, which adds up to more than 200 billion trees, end quote. Plus, the dang things have a nasty habit of falling over, dying, and decaying, thus releasing clouds of toxic carbon pollution or something. Now, in the newsletter, circling back to the Golden State and its attack of bad weather, we do begin 2023 relieved that the unprecedented Southern California flooding of 22 is now behind us. Witnesses call it the worst on record, quote, waters covered the lowlands entirely and rose to a greater height than ever before, end quote. And yet, only seven years previously, the same residents suffered floods so violent that they permanently changed the course of the Los Angeles River. So, we understand those in California demanding action to tackle the climate crisis. But whatever is done will be too little and much too late because these floods happened not in 2022 and 2015, but in 1822 and 1815. And according to the 1890 edition of the Journal of the Historical Society of Southern California, they were not rare events. They were followed by severe floods in 1825, 1832, 1842, 1850 to 52, 1861 to 62, 1867 to 68, 1884 and 1886, with the deluges interrupted by repeated droughts. Yet somehow no one blamed mankind for all this trouble, including that in January and February 1852, an incredible 46 inches of rain fell. But the early 1860s saw droughts so harsh that, quote, the loss of cattle was fearful. In marshy places and around the Siniegas, where there was a vestige of green, the ground was covered with their skeletons. And the traveler for years afterward was often startled by coming suddenly on a veritable Golgotha, a place of skulls. And that, 
of course, was just the benign and stable climate of the Little Ice Age before man-made warming ruined everything. Which might help explain why combating misinformation is all the rage these days, at least among government officials who want ever-expanding censorship power to deal with the supposed menace of false, distorted, and harmful rhetoric online. Which, unfortunately, they themselves seem to spew in alarming quantities. And Exhibit A here is the increasingly deranged rhetoric of United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who recently claimed that, quote, the number of weather, climate, and water-related disasters has increased by a factor of five over the past 50 years, end quote. Or maybe not. Climate scientist Roger Pilkey Jr. has meticulously debunked this claim in a new Substack post that reviews 2022 in context of global climate disaster trends. The reality he found is that the year was unexceptional and continues a long-standing downward trend in the number and severity of climate-related disasters. As Pilkey Jr. also notes, while most scientists working in the area know the public is being misled, very few are willing to push back. Instead, scientific groups like the World Meteorological Organization gladly legitimize falsehoods that feed the narrative, and journalists make sure that the few who do speak out are never heard. But just in case, Governments want the power to silence any who slip through. But, until they get to us, we're going to go right on, including quoting from the CO2Science.org archive. For instance, a study of river flows in southern South America, specifically Argentina's Nequen River, to see whether climate change really has made it more extreme. Are they getting more drought? Are they getting more flooding? Well, looking at the period from 1346 to 2000 AD, these researchers say, no, not really. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and there's a reason I close my windows in winter and open them in summer.